Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Silver and I believe that evolution of the world requires evolution of the individual. I believe entrepreneurs are consistently changing that world and we always will be. So with this show I will bring you the people and ideas with tools necessary to hack your growth in your business and your life. Together let's ask the world's biggest question, build businesses to solve them, and live happy and fulfilling lives in the process. It's time to evolve. Hey everyone, welcome to Evolve. Today's guest is a woman's health and lifestyle coach who has dared to lead hundreds of women down a path of radical self-acceptance, gaining her recognition by global founder and CEO of Thrive Global, Ariana Huffington, as one of the top 20 health and wellness role models. She has partnered with some of the most prestigious brands in the world, such as Nike, Adidas, Puma, Under Armour, SoulCycle, and countless others. However, the limelight did not begin so bright. After growing up in an immigrant family, she started out as a hairstylist and an early mother at 21, where she struggled with depression, anxiety, and hating her own self-image, which quickly turned to self-destruction. In 2013, she started her fitness journey with the GoFitJoe hashtag, which she shared the raw side of well-being from topics like eating healthy, juggling a demanding creative lifestyle while balancing modern-day motherhood, overcoming depression, and facing body image issues. Empowering people to cultivate their inner strength and be a source of raw, real, and authenticity in a fitness industry that is dominated by aesthetics and physical appearance, she's the founder behind GoFitJoe, which has amassed a following of over 80,000 people, a thriving blog of 20,000 readers a month, all following the road to radical self-acceptance and redefining wellness on their terms. She has also competed in three bodybuilding competitions, was the director of creation and community at the $500 million startup Visco, and still manages to juggle being a loving wife and mother of two while managing a creative business, photo shoots, brand deals, and workouts. Additionally, she has been interviewed and featured in countless publications such as Refinery29, Glamour Magazine, Teen Vogue, Thrive Global, and many, many more. She is raw, she is vulnerable, wise, and a badass mother hustler who has been called the queen of messy conversations and humbly notes herself as a woman in progress. I'm honored to welcome the founder and editor of GoFitJoe and a woman who, as vulnerability expert Brene Brown might say, has let go of who, think, who she thinks she's supposed to be and embraced who she is, Joanne and Carcino. Oh my goodness, what an intro. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brandon, for just, wow. I might have to have you like write all my copy on my website. It, yeah, and <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that was incredible. Thank you so much. It is such an honor to have this conversation with you and I can't wait to get started and get into the nitty gritty, but wow. Holy cow, I just need to like breathe a little bit and just inhale that intro for a Absolutely. minute. Absolutely. Well, Thank you. Yeah, you've done some pretty amazing things and it was really awesome to kind of dive into your story, especially knowing you a little more personally going through the coaching program with you. Um, but before we start diving into what you do, tell me about working at uh, Visco and how you were navigating the startup life. Oh my God. Uh, my journey in Visco was, was kind of funny. Um, well, funny in the sense of just like transitioning from being a hairstylist into getting into tech. Um, right. The CEO and founder, one of the co-founders of Visco happened to be my wedding photographer. And when I was doing hair, I was basically building a clientele off of social media before social media even existed. Mm-hmm. We had MySpace at that time and Yelp reviews basically. But in each of those areas, um, there were communities being built. And what I, what I recognized is that, you know, in order to kind of create, 
as, as we're starting to map out businesses where there is a digital forefront or a digital presence, we're going to have to get into customers' point of views on the digital space. And right. so um, I was pretty active on both Yelp and MySpace, creating profiles that were specifically driven for, uh, at the time, which was like my, my business name was I Cut Hair. Uh, <laughs> and so my handles were like also like just super simple. It's like, what do you do? I cut hair. Right. Um, and so that was, that became like, you know, an easy conversation starter. Um, and so I think because of that, and not only just like the relentlessness and the determination that my CEO just knew who I was as a person, was able to couple that talent and that skill with just being the person that I am and knowing mm-hmm. that here's a person who can really drive and start to build out a um, digital community for a platform that he was creating within Visco. Um, and so when I first started with Visco, the funny thing was he um, approached me and told me that like he was going to only be able to provide me so- sweat equity for my work. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I appreciate it. I have, a, I like, I, I'm all for your vision, but I also need to pay some bills living in the Bay Area. Right. Um, and we finally negotiated whatever terms that was able to work out for us. And then I started to pioneer a career in a startup as one of the first female managers at that company, mm-hmm. which was uh, an amazing feat and also a really difficult one, considering the landscape of what we now know as mostly tech bros, unfortunately, right? So right. Um, I've always believed in that company. I've always thought amazing things for it. And I've always just like loved the growth of what they did. And I think for me, in every single aspect of the careers that I choose, one of the things that I always know that's deeply rooted within myself is empowering others to do the, do whatever it means to be their best selves and their best versions. And Visco is a, a company that was designing tools and a platform for creators. And being mm-hmm. that photography was my initial first love. Um, it was one of those things of like, how can I empower creators and help work for a company that's providing them tools to become you know, basically self-made business owners eventually right. down the line or take their creativity and, and, and foster that into something that will actually like feed their bellies, <laughs> you know? So yeah, that was kind of my transition into that career and um, navigating through that world. Yeah. I think there's a, when going through your story, there's a huge common thread of, you know, empowering others as well as a little bit of rebelling and you know how showing how powerful you can be as a woman you know whether it was being you know the first female manager or having tons of tattoos as a professional so is this sort of the thing that drew you to startups and entrepreneurship I think what drew me to the idea of startups and entrepreneurship is um and and this quote has always like stuck with me which was Mm -hmm. um like ship fast, fail hard, make mistakes and do it over again. Mm. And I think, I, I think one of the things that, that teaches you in any kind of startup environment is that you're, you're bound to make mistakes and you're bound right. to face adversity and you're bound to fail because nobody else is actually creating a guidebook for what that actually looks like. Mm-hmm. And that was like super exciting. Um, and it kind of reminded me of my career as a hairstylist, you know, you get a client in your chair, you really don't know what you're getting behind all the layers of like color or like whatever the haircut might be. You're bound to make mistakes, but you're going to figure it out and you're going to create an end product from it, regardless of how many times it might take you to get that right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what, what kind of drew me. I think what also drew me to the startup culture was just the 
fast paced, um, the fast paced thinking that everybody had and the collaborative effort that it took for a small team to be able to make something like large happen. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember, you know, most people know Visco as a company that makes uh, mobile mobile editing, uh, like photo editing apps. And right. when Visco first started, we actually created uh, Visco Film, which was Lightroom presets. Oh, okay. And um, the first day of launch, I was actually there. And it was, I think, if I can remember this correctly, there was four of us in the room. I was manning Twitter, customer support. Mike Wu was our CTO at the time main engineer and Joel Flores, the co-founder. And um, I believe Greg, the other co-founder was in the room. He might've been remote, but I believe he may have been there. And there were times where like we launched the site, but forgot to like have the shopping cart attached to things. <laughs> so people were like writing in, like I just placed an order and the order isn't attached to anything. Like it's not sitting in. I mean, it was the worst best launch ever because <laughs> yeah. it just was like a tweet storm of all the things we were doing wrong and there was just the four of us like holy fuck we really don't know what's going on yeah. um, and there were times like I remember there were times where I had to that day I had to like take order numbers and try to like figure out which one was missing because mm. we didn't know which customer actually purchased it and so to see where they are now because i believe today actually as we're recording this podcast there's a radio interview happening where they're talking about visco girls and mm -hmm. this trend that's happening like on the radio and so I'm laughing that you and i are talking about the start of visco and now they're on the radio based on this like kind of trendy like millennial thing that's happening and i'm just yeah. like oh man if y'all only knew <laughs> <laughs> right you guys only knew <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about when you uh, were transitioning and you started your fitness journey um, and you were dealing with depression and anxiety and you actually had this, this moment um, of your daughter seeing how beautiful you were, but then you telling her, no, you were fat and ugly. So tell me about how you started and how that passion kind of unfolded. Yeah. So, you know, that happened. Um, the road to that moment was me working at Visco for, you know, I think it was like maybe about three and a half years into this. Our company was growing like mm -hmm. every startup, you kind of start growing, you start working really, really hard and you start working really fast and the demands just got harder. Mm -hmm. And, um, I never grew up, you know, as, uh, as an, as, as a daughter of immigrants, I never grew up in a household where self-care was something that was important and taking care of your well-being, your mental health, mm -hmm. uh, your emotional well-being were things that were just not taught to me growing up. Um, and it wasn't part of our culture. So the moment that you get into the state or into this phase of your life where you're taking care of yourself as a Filipino woman, um, it's known to be, uh, to be selfish because in our world or in our culture, community and family and all those other things come first before you. If you put yourself first, that's you being selfish and not thinking about others. And that was obviously the cultural upbringing and messaging that I took on for a long period of my time um, and, and a long period of like my adulthood. And um, as a mother, you know, as a young mother, being a mom in my 20s, you're so focused on your career and you're so focused on just surviving as like a new parent and especially right. as a young parent that like putting me first was definitely not a priority. 
And uh, I, was de- I was dealing with anxiety and depression. I've dealt with anxiety and depression before in my teens. And I remember like, why do I feel so unhappy with myself? I mean, on paper, I have it all. I have this amazing career. I have a family. I have a roof over my head in the Bay Area. We, I have an amazing partner. He, he's got his business going. Like, why am I so unhappy? And that moment, my daughter and I were just getting ready for like a Sunday morning with the family. And when she looked at me and said, mom, you're so beautiful. And I turned and looked at her just the way that I would look at like my girlfriends in a dressing room. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm ugly and fat. Like the look on her face is one that I'll never forget. And it was also that moment where I realized, holy shit, Joe, you are not taking care of yourself. You are not putting the time and energy needed to create space for your own well-being and it's affecting everything around you. And, um, you know, when I said that to my daughter, like the biggest shit moment for me was here I am raising young women that I want to be, that I would hope that they become strong and confident and courageous, but who am I to do that if I'm not modeling that myself? in this moment. And so two weeks later, um, I decided to hire a fitness coach and just get my shit in order and dedicate myself into focusing on my physical health and my mental well-being. And um, I think a lot of that for me at that time, especially back in 2013, I remember seeing a bunch of articles like, you know, I mean, this is when wellness was starting to start somewhat like start that conversation that exercising and eating well was good for your mental health. Right. Right. And I was like, I don't want to be on antidepressants and I don't want to be on anxiety medication. I know what that felt like for a good period of my life. And I did not feel alive and did not feel like myself. And that just was not a road that I wanted to go down. And so it was like, let me try like taking care of myself. Let me try (laughs) this like fitness thing that people are talking about. And let's see what like that actually does for me. And uh, that's when that started. And the trickle effect of taking care of myself was one that I never actually imagined. You know, it's like throwing a pebble into a lake and seeing the ripple effect happen, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things I remember my um, CEO at Visco telling me was like, you know, you have really turned yourself around after Mm -hmm. taking care of yourself. Um, there was a period when I was, when I was like poorly managing my teams at Bisco because I was stressed out and I was just like overly like burned out for myself. And like when he said that to me, that's when I really realized that taking care of your well-being infects the world around you. Mm, Yeah. And you mentioned like growing up, some of the culture that you had was, you know, to put family first and, you know, self-care wasn't really a thing that you did. And I see that, um, perpetuating into, you know, startup culture as well. Um, and so, you know, you happen to transition into tech into startups. And so probably feeling like that is the same environment. And it's amazing to hear, um, that basically once you started, you know, taking care of yourself, that it really started changing how you led people It started changing the way you were working and the culture that you were having an impact on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that because one of the things that I do remember um, telling my boss and at the time, at the time, Visco was like, I think a team of 12. Mm -hmm. But I said, you know, I, 
I, I've got to work on myself and there are going to be days where I'm going to be late in the office because I'm going to be at the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, it's important to me that I do this. And when I told my boss that, um, when I told Joel that it was, it was interesting because he was like, okay, well, how do we, how do we support your health? Right? Like, how do we support, you know, this, this aspect of you? And I was like, well, maybe we can start having like egg white omelets instead of like just whole egg omelets as like another option for people to have. And, you know, because he knew I was a pretty, um, like, like cornerstone part of our team. And it would look kind of weird for a, a manager to like not be in the office like super early. <laughs> right. um, he offered to pay for a gym membership for everybody on that team. Oh, wow. And, you know, it was really cool because again, like, I think one of the things that people maybe, I don't want to say fail to see, but haven't quite seen yet is that one person taking care of their health and wellness can infect everything around you. Mm-hmm. And at one point it was really amazing for me to be able to like be this like manager managing a team of 12 and a separate team of six. And then having my employees see that I was commuting to work, going to the gym in the morning, then coming into work, handling my day, not being super stressed out, having a good, well enough, like work-life balance where I cut my work day off at four 30 to make it back home. Like mm-hmm. to see them then also start going to the gym, taking care of themselves, taking time to like meditate in between the day. It was just such a beautiful thing because then my teams were a whole lot more effective and a whole lot more dedicated to the work that they were doing because they were dedicated to the work they were doing for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about some of the shifts that you've had in your mission of helping people with self-acceptance and self-love and really empowering you know, entrepreneurs and women um, from everything from fitness all the way to mental health. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that shift I think was incredible. Um, and and I think it was timely too. Uh, I remember, I remember like just growing this passion of, of wellness and the idea of just taking care of yourself so that you can be an empowered human. And, uh, when I was working at Visco and starting to just get burned out with just the, the tech life and, and the startup culture. And um, I felt a calling to take what I did at Visco as a people manager and find a way to marry that into my health and well, like my love for health and wellness. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to myself one year, like by the time I'm 35, I'm going to go into life coaching. And I think it was also the same year that I happened to be laid off <laughs> from Visco, mm. <laughs> uh, mostly because of just, you know, reorgs and whatnot. And also, you know, like universal timing, like it right. was kind of perfect timing. And I've already outgrown what I needed to do at that company. It was time mm. for me to take it a step further. And because I was at Visco since pretty much day one and employee, I think either number eight or like 10, I was like really like one of the first employees there. I probably would have never left because mm-hmm. I had so much deeply rooted love for that baby since I had like mm-hmm. helped watch that baby right. grow. Um, and that's kind of how that transition happened. It was a little bit of a, like a, Oh shit, here I am doing uh, I've got to figure it out. Um, and it was, it was, it was awesome. I, I don't think it could have been any other way. And, you know, it was funny because the, the, Day I got laid off, I think I had a, a meeting with Joel four days later, and he just was like, I know you're going to do something amazing with like your brand. And I know you're going to do something so awesome with like Go Fit Joe. And in the mm-hmm. back of my head, I was like, 
I know. <laughs> I'm sad, but I also know. I, 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 I know deep inside there's something awesome that's going to come out of this. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, tell me a little bit about your approach to coaching, you know, both health and life. Um, I was reading that you focus on these primary foods, which are relationships, uh, spirituality, career and physical activity. So tell me how those get integrated together, and why they're important to be explored together. Yeah, I think those are extremely important to be explored, especially like primary foods being mm-hmm. your relationships, spirituality, career, and physical movement. Um, mainly because one of my biggest beliefs is that we're just like physical, we're just physical containers for energy stored within our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, our relationships, the way in which we relate to people or ourselves, the, our spirituality and the way that we relate to ourselves and the rest of the world and just everything around us, um, the way in which like we relate to our careers of, of fulfillment are, are those fulfilling us are going to all affect our food, right? Like the actual nourishment that we put into our body. We're all emotional creatures. So there's no way that we can say that none of us are emotional eaters. We're going to have emotional eating disorders to a certain degree. Some people may have it more, but our way of eating is tied to our emotional health. It's just Mm -hmm. how we nourish ourselves. And, you know, to me, physical movement and not even just exercise, but just movement in itself is essential to the body and exercise is optional. It's how we move our body. It's how we honor it. It's how we move and direct and shift that energy. And so I like to focus on those with my clients. And what I recognize when I was like in my coaching in the early stages of my health coaching career was that I was so focused on trying to help them with their nutrition or wanting to help them with their nutrition. However, our conversations, when I would start with what's new and good, what are the next, what are the things that we can celebrate that happened for you in the last two weeks? Um, they would share, you know, parts and pieces of their lives. And then it was like, how do, what are the things that we're going to focus on moving forward in the next few, two weeks of your life? And a lot of the things that they talked about with me was relationships, careers, mm. uh, mental, emotional capacity within themselves and trying to understand how to communicate their own needs. And I was like, wow, we're not even talking about food. <laughs> like we're, not, we're actually not talking about how we nourish our bodies here. We're talking about how we nourish our actual spirits. Mm-hmm. And um, that's kind of like how... I really shaped and and shaped and molded that business for me um, and shaped then molded the business in, in terms of the conversations I have with my coaching clients. And it empowers them from within, right? Because mm-hmm. then it helps, it allows them to feel more empowered about their food choices when they know what's going on with them internally. Yeah. And I think how you do one thing in life is how you do everything. I mean, nothing gets siloed. It all intertwines because, you know, as you were saying, if you are having, you know, some strong emotions or having a problem in your relationship, it's definitely going to affect how you're eating, um, whether it that's good or positive. You know, we know that you can have um, a lot of positive emotions come up when you are sharing a meal with someone that you love. Um, right. Likewise, if you just had an argument and are stressed out when you eat that food, like it's actually going to negatively impact your body. Right. So I, right. I think that this integrated approach is, you know, very, very important. Yeah. 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 It's an amazing one. And I think it's one that we're, we're barely tapping into. And some of the things now that I'm, I'm deeply exploring in my coaching career is helping women truly uh, embrace their identity as a woman, um, whatever that might mean for them. And so that is redefining and breaking apart the roles that society and culture may have told them that they need 
that they needed to embody and mm-hmm. helping them redefine what that actually looks like for themselves. So they're living the most fullest and authentic life that they can live. Right, right. How can uh, entrepreneurs and um, people in startups start to integrate some of these things for themselves? You know, it's interesting. Um, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of trend right now in startup culture and in tech around the idea of digital wellness and mm-hmm. um, wellness and well-being from literally like entrepreneurs and uh, founder culture and, and that being infected from like founder culture all the way to like the users and everything else. Right. And I think like what we need to get back into is is. And we're getting there, but we need to get back into doing the inner work within ourselves and figuring out like, what is the intention behind, let's say the businesses or the products that we are creating um, as entrepreneurs and what are we trying to um, infuse back into humanity? And how is that in alignment with what we believe in as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a startup culture? And how do we then take our belief systems and build out the products and services and tools that our greater community or users need? Because uh, essentially, I think what I've learned in startup culture and what I've you constantly hear in any startup culture and app developments or you know whatever is they're creating tools and apps for people to do something better about whatever they do, right? right, right. And like how to like to make them more efficient or to make them, you know, to, to help them create better photos or it's always about to improve whatever quality of life they have. Mm-hmm. And so if we're not improving the quality of life within the core of a company, then mm-hmm. we're not going to be able to improve the quality of life for the people who are using our products. Right. And I think uh, an important part of this um, improving the own life of um, each of the entrepreneurs, each of the founders, each of the people in the culture is uh, creating this harmony within your life. And so you have, um, this statement that balance is bullshit and that you should strive, <laughs> you should strive for harmony um, yeah. is amazing because you're a mother, you're a wife, you help your husband with his photography business, you're an entrepreneur an influencer, you're doing all of these things. How do you do it for yourself? I think one of the things that is important for me is that I'm able to feel like I can fluidly make the choices in my life that are important to me in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that goes back to the idea of like harmony. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I always say about like harmony and the way that I describe it to people, so people have a maybe like a visual understanding of it. It's like, it's like when you hear mu- music and there's all these different notes and there's all these different instruments that are being played to create an actual song or a beautiful like melody. And mm-hmm. all of those are highs and lows. And that's the same with our life, right? Like everything that we put into our life are going to have moments of highs and lows. But overall, is that creating harmony for you? Are you able to hear or see a beautiful sound or peace out of it. And like, I think for me, when I can recognize that there's peace within myself, that's when I know I'm living harmoniously. Um, Mm -hmm. It may not always be the case, but I think, you know, when I'm feeling like I'm in in my own emotional wreckage, so to speak, I take time for myself. I literally will like shut everything down, shut everybody out, tell my assistant I'm like over it for the day. I need a day for myself and really just take that time to just like reset And I mean, there are other logical, logistical things like meditation and journaling and affirmations, which is something I I definitely need to get back to. Um, But, you know, those little things have definitely helped to just keep that like harmony and flow for me. Okay. So I want to go back to this idea of self-acceptance that Mm -hmm. we've been talking about earlier. And you've talked 
pretty openly about many situations um, happening in your life, you know, from feeling, feeling judged as being an entrepreneur or getting tattoos or even some um, things that you had as like a teenager where you've almost attempted suicide. Um, how have these things helped you evolve in your journey and made you stronger in the person that you are today? You know, I think um, it's a loaded question, Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, you know, I I was just talking about this and I I was talking about this to somebody regarding just like the adversity that I've faced in my life. And, you know, every one of us are going to, we're going to face adversity no matter Mm -hmm. what, Um, big or small, we're all going to face, you know, big traumas with a capital T or little traumas with a little T. I think it's a matter of how we, how we view them. And one of the biggest ways that I've been able to see some of the things in my life or experience some of the things that I, in my life um, that most people would like label as bad, I look at like, what are the lessons learned that I'm, I'm pulling out of this situation and that experience. Mm-hmm. And that allows me at least to see things with a lot more acceptance mm-hmm. and not to judge the situation and then not to place shame or blame on myself or others in that situation. Um, you know, I think, I think for the most part, we're all like humans trying to figure it out, right? Like we don't have a rule book to anything and we're bound to make mistakes and nothing as nothing to me is a good or bad decision. It's just a decision. And whatever the outcome is, is is another experiment that you might be able to like work through to figure out what works for you. So in terms of like the road of radical self-acceptance for me and what I try to like empower my clients to lean into is that like there are going to be messy and beautiful parts of our life, just like there is going to be messy and beautiful parts of creating anything, like mm-hmm. anything, cooking, like creating <laughs> music, creating art. Like there is a lot of messiness that goes into that. And if we can accept both the messiness and the beauty of the process, then then we can fully lean into the self-acceptance and the self-love that each and every single one of us needs. And, um, you know, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking about like entrepreneurial culture and startup culture there's so many hangups sometimes when, mm-hmm. when things happen and go wrong, especially in a business where you're shipping fast and you're trying things hard and you're not getting it right. And it's frustrating. Um, but it takes a lot of like self-awareness to just pull yourself back and go, right. That was a great experiment that fucking sucked. Let's try <laughs> something else and let's see what we can learn. Well, what do we learn out of that? And how do we grow from that? And how do we push forward and develop something that's maybe even better or maybe the same, but something different. Right. I, I think um, it's really easy to reflect on it once you've gone through it, but how, do, sure. you, <laughs> how do you start deal with, uh, dealing with it? Like right when you're in say the depression or anxiety of it all? Yeah. You know what? The thing that I think we don't do enough in our culture is just allow ourselves to feel Mm. and to give ourselves the moment to not try to make sense of it and to just feel it. Um, One of the things that I tell my clients to do, especially if they're going through, you know, an anxious moment or if like they deal with anxiety daily or whatnot is like set a timer. If you're, if you're going through an anxious morning, set a timer, give yourself 15 minutes to feel it, mm. to like sit in it, to wallow in it. And once that timer goes off, make the decision to just push forward because you're going to push forward regardless. And so either you push forward with like, like ruminating over the fact that you're in this like shitty state, or you're going to push forward and, and try to be optimistic for the day. But the hardest part is that 
we're in such a culture of like, just push through no matter what, that we don't actually just sit and mm-hmm. we don't allow ourselves to just sit in the stillness, even if it's shitty and even if it's like messy. And so I always encourage people to just allow yourself to feel for a moment and check in with yourself and see what those stories are and see what your body's telling you and slow your mind down and get back to like breathing and just giving yourself that moment to be. Yeah, I think that's important because, you know, especially in the ship fast culture and push forward and be the best that you can be like you oftentimes are skipping over that step. And that step is crucially important to really understand who you are and to start traveling down that road of self-acceptance because you, yeah. can, you can start looking at why are these motions coming up. Right, right, right. And I think it's uh, it's important because once we're able to start building a lot more emotional intelligence within ourselves, then we're able to like properly process these things. And then we're also able to properly communicate what we're actually feeling or the fears that might be coming up or the emotions that are coming up without having to um, act on the emotions. We're able to express them. And once we're able to express them, then everybody around you can, and even yourself really can like try to find a solution for what's happening, what's truly, truly happening. Mm, Yeah. So I want to go on to, um, you were talking about, you know, sort of the lessons that you've learned from these things that you've gone through. And I want to touch on some of the lessons that you learned um, through early motherhood. So, you know, mm. how to adapt, have focus, purpose and everything that you do, which I think are all, you know, great qualities of an entrepreneur. So I was curious what other values or lessons you've gained from motherhood. Oh, man. Um, values of motherhood. Uh, nothing is ever going to go right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is ever going to go as what you expect it to be. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can have a vision of who you're supposed to be or what your kids are supposed to be or how you're supposed to parent or how you're supposed to show up as a mother. And that's not going to be the case. And so I've had to learn to, yes, have an idea and have a vision, but then to also throw out the expectations that that might Mm -hmm. be the thing. You know, hope for the best, but always just prepare yourself for a little bit of the worst because it's going to happen. I mean, you're, you're dealing with like children who are not aware of themselves yet. And so, you know, you kind of have to understand that like as much as as a parent that you're trying to shape them into this amazing adult, that they're also still learning. Um, I think that also the other biggest lesson that I've learned in motherhood is oh, like patience and humility. And being able to apologize to your children when you're the one who's wrong. Um, That was never something that was like ever taught to me as a child. Like my parents were very much in the generation of I'm the parent, I'm right, no matter what. Um, And that's great. You know, like that, that obviously is, is awesome because that's, and and that's also all they knew, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's what perpetuated through patterns and generational cycles as well. But for me, like, I, you know, when I, I remember when I would, you know, make mistakes, my mom would make mistakes. I would like crave for an apology from her. Like, I just wanted to hear you say sorry. And not because like you're to blame, there's no one to blame for an apology. You're just acknowledging my emotion of hurt. And that's all I wanted. And so, you know, one of the things I've learned from being a mom is like, your child also just wants acknowledgement of their hurt and their pain that may have been caused from whatever the situation or circumstance and apologizing to your child does not make you less than your child. It actually just, it teaches them 
that you're honoring their emotion and giving them space to make sense of it and then seeing your humanity in it. And I think it's just like, it's, it's the most empowering thing and the most like humbling thing to be able to witness. Mm. What sort of values are you trying to pass on and teach your daughters? Um, the biggest one is open and honest communication. Um, that is like, like, I think one of the biggest core, uh, values in this household, at least is being able to communicate openly and honestly. Now it's not always going to go perfect, but it's one of those things that we, we want them to know that their emotions and their feelings are, are safe to be able to be expressed. Mm. Um, being an immigrant, like being an immigrant daughter, I, I didn't have that. Like they didn't, again, they Filipinos didn't have, um, they weren't taught how to talk about their feelings or their emotions or their mental health. And so being like now knowing what I know now, um, it's important that people have the ability to express themselves and to be able to be vulnerable about how they express themselves. And I want my daughters to be able to like just grow up in that world. And the other value I think is the entire, you know, shit's going to get messy. (laughs) We're going to make mistakes. (laughs) We're going to get, we're going to make mistakes and there is absolutely no shame in that. Um, and I, and I want them to grow up not feeling ashamed of the mistakes that they might, might make along the way. Uh, cause I think once we hold on to the shame, that's when we stop. Um, that's when we stop being able to grow mm-hmm. as a human, um, mainly because we start living in the past and mm-hmm. instead of like thinking of the future. Right. And so, that I think is like the biggest thing that I also want them to learn. And oh, I guess the other thing is like leaning into love. Um, I read this awesome description of judgment from a book by Gabrielle Bernstein. Um, and it was the, her judgment detox book. And the way that she describes judgment is separation from love. And I love that because It's the idea that like, we always have to come back to love, Mm -hmm. um, as a way to like honor ourselves and the people around us and even the situation and the idea of like judgment being separation from love was just such a beautiful one. And so we try to, we try our hardest to like not judge a situation as much as we can in this house, um, and to ask questions and to get curious. Yeah. How do we start opening up some of these conversations, you know, moving it from everyone's killing it, everyone's doing great to actually being real and honest about, you know, if they're struggling with depression or, you know, they're not actually doing well or they have mistakes going on, just their own well-being. How do we shift that conversation? Well, I think one of the ways is, I mean, obviously you can ask, like, how are you feeling? But most Mm -hmm. of the times people might not be able to be honest with that. Um, one rule of thumb that we have when we ask people, uh, how are you feeling is good. Isn't an answer. Like good. Isn't a feeling. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. Isn't a feeling. And, um, like, you know, like, yeah, good. Isn't a feeling. So it's like, we want them to uh, actually isolate and and give us an actual feeling. So that's one way that we can kind of deep dive into that. The other way is kind of just doing like a little bit of a a health check with people. And it's super simple. You can say, Hey, how are you feeling from a scale of one to eight and describe or one to 10 and describe, um, describe that feeling with one word. Mm. And that allows to like open up a conversation and allows us to like, allows the other person that you're asking that to, to really just kind of think about it. I wish I had that tool and I wish I had that like, um, 
I wish I knew that back in my startup life. I would have used that in all of my like scrum meetings with my employees or even my one-on-ones just to say, how are you feeling this week on a scale of one to 10 and one word to describe your week Mm. or one word to describe your feeling. Because then as like a manager, like that it's important to understand the feelings of, of your employees and to support them in that way, not necessarily to fix it, but to support them in that way and to see how you can maybe help them shift that like number to like a higher level or a higher vibration. So that's like one way I think that we can do that. Yeah. And I think uh, some of the values that you were saying that you wanted to teach your daughters is the same values that we can bring into the workplace and, Mm -hmm. you know, paying attention to what our employees um, emotions are and giving them the space to freely speak about that. So that, you know, as a whole, we can, you know, make it a better place to be. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it's not like the manager's, you know, job or anything like the people manager's job to like manage their emotions. But I mean, if, if as a, as a people manager in a startup culture, you're starting to see a trend that, you know, your team is overly worked or overly stressed out, then maybe that's a note for you to talk to like your HR representative or your HR at your company to say, Hey, can we get like a, maybe an onsite therapist once a month? My team is like super stressed out. And maybe that's something that we can offer and just see if they can have 30 minute sessions that are here on site. And that way they're not having to go anywhere and not having to like do anything or just to like have a list of resources for uh, employees to be able to get that like mental health or mental health release that they might need. Or even to like, I don't know, like one of the things that we started doing at Visco was once a month, like 15 minute chair massages and people have to sign up for it. <laughs> and that kind of just showed like, wow, like this company cares about my well-being. We have a launch week coming up, but they want us to be healthy and they want us to be good. And it's not about just like infusing a culture with like, you know, alcohol and happy hours, right? Like to right. make them feel good. It's actually doing something that's going to prolong their health and well-being. Yeah. How do we, um, though, stop ourselves from getting um, confused on like if we're actually bringing wellness to the workplace and, you know, actually caring for our employees? We may say, okay, let's do, you know, massage chairs and we check that mm-hmm. off a list, but we're not actually checking in with our employees and checking in on their wellness. Um, how do you sort of balance those two things? I mean, I think it's all about like following up, right? Mm. Like, you know, it's like if, if let's say, if let's say you are a man, if you're managing a team and you know that things aren't going like well, then it doesn't hurt to like, it doesn't hurt to just like ping that employee or maybe the team and just say, hey, how's everyone doing? Like, how's everyone's health check? Mm-hmm. You know, as a team, like where are we at? Like in terms of just like, how are we feeling as a group? And, you know, I think one of the things that we um, so often forget uh, in startup culture, and it's could have changed now, but one of the things I remember seeing so much of is that everybody was delegating their own tasks, obviously, which is great, but there wasn't necessarily a cohesive collaboration as often as needed to be, or there was only collaboration when meetings were happening or when like for some of the engineering teams, when codes needed to be like submitted in for, you know, review or whatever. Um, I was lucky enough to work on teams that were like the curation team is like an artistic team. Right. So like, we're all about our feels and like I I was dealing with the community teams. And so they're dealing with the community at Fisco. And so we were, we, we were used to talking about like people's feelings and, and how we were feeling and like how that actually, um, how that actually like transpired into like our work and stuff like that. So it's just a matter of, I think just like checking up, 
like just caring as, as a person of like another human being. Um, that is, is, is important. Like we need to start seeing our employees as just like, as, as a, as a human to human and not from like, I'm your manager and you're my direct report. Right. Where do you see the, uh, the conversation of health and wellness going, you know, as a whole and particularly for entrepreneurs? Um, I think as a whole, like we're going to start seeing it become more embodied into all the things and areas that we touch um, and actually all the areas of our life. Like it's interesting on the wellness uh, landscape that now we're having conversations about like our sexual wellness being part of our health and our well-being. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an amazing time because it's a part of our lives that are important to a lot of people out here that we're not actually like we haven't had the tools or the resources to talk about till now and there wasn't the shame around that to start talking about that now which i think is important now i think in like maybe the more entrepreneurial or tech startup and and business life it's then starting to understand this like it's it's then starting to understand that what we do as entrepreneurs is affecting our followers our readers our 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 users our customers and all that stuff and so we're really really having to like think about what is the root cause of some of the disconnects that like our users are having. What is it there? You know, is it because mm-hmm. something happen- is happening internally within the businesses? And if it is happening internally in the businesses, we need to really start there. So it's going to, it's going to be this interesting, like shift of like, holy shit, the things that we do in house actually affect what we do out house, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and once we can start listening to that feedback loop from people that use the products or just people, you know, in general, it's just going to create like a healthier space for that. Yes. So one of the things that you did as an entrepreneur, you recently shared your um, sexual trauma history with your readers. And so how did that, you know, how did you get the courage to share that vulnerability? And then what did it do for you and your community? Um, so I think like, I mean, I've always wanted to share that because that was the longest part of my story. I needed to wait because I wanted to make sure that my, uh, daughters like knew about my story before that goes Mm. out to the public first. And once they were able to have a clear understanding of how that shaped me as a person and how I was able to take that, that painful experience and turn it into an empowering experience for me, uh, was one where I was able to finally lean into the courage and vulnerability of sharing that to other people. Because for me, like, it doesn't really matter what my readers or my followers think of like what I say or produce or put out there. It's really important for me that my daughters know the truth and know who I am before anything gets produced for any external people. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, when I shared that, it was pretty much the same trickle effect of sharing the openness of, um, sharing the openness of my depression and anxiety. It was like, wow, we are shedding light on a conversation that is hard for a lot of people to have. And once we're shedding light to it, we break away the stigma and we break away the shame because we're able to talk about it in a way that again, doesn't add any kind of judgment to the situation. It's just, it is what it is. And it was a terrible situation, but here's what we can learn from it. And here's how we can grow from it. And so what I was able to see um, within my community was conversations around it and conversations of healing around it and women wanting to find ways to heal from their traumas so that they can either have better relationships with their partners um, better relationships with themselves, uh, better understand the depression and anxiety and the root causes of like what they're going through. Cause I think a lot of times people don't realize that 
they're going through all these little PTSD moments in their lives when certain little things happen. And it's typically associated to some form of trauma in their life. And you have to understand what that trauma is in order to get to the solution that's going to be the best for that person and the the long lasting and sustainable solution for that person. So yeah, for me, I think it just, um, it created space for people to like sit into the acceptance of like, oh shit, this happened to me and it was terrible, but I'm going to get over it and I'm going to get through it. And it might be a hard journey, but there is a way to heal from it. Hmm. How do we show up every day as our strongest, whether it's mentally, physically, or emotionally? Hmm. You know, that's a, um, that's another loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's like, I think what, I think one of the best ways to show up for ourselves um, as our strongest versions of ourselves is to go through like what I like to call a resource list. Like a lot of people call it like their self-care checklist. Um, And self-care is obviously the things that you do for yourself, which are really important. But your resource list is also things that maybe you can't do for yourself, but others can support you. So Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is like on my resource list, it'll be all my self-care things, which is like meditation, 30 minutes of exercise every day, drinking lots of water, eating healthy-ish. You know, maybe having a glass of wine might be on my self-care list, but also like time with my friend, time spent with my friends, um, a long drive with music, you know, like things that just allow us to feel well resourced is how we can show up in our best selves. And, you know, sometimes like the self-care thing is very useful, but sometimes the external support from friends or therapists or coaches is going to be the actual resource that we need to show up as a better version. So I think like expanding what that like resource list looks like and not being afraid to dip into external forces to help you become your better version. Yeah, I think that's uh, really important um, and something that I definitely had to work through myself because I was a very introspective person and would deal with everything myself and actually taking some time to figure out ways that, you know, I can bring like my wife in or, you know, my friends in or other people in my community to help me get that self-care that I need um, because it really helps you take yourself out of your own head and the thoughts that you're probably ruminating on and the, you know, past traumas that you might have or whatever and allow other people to come in your life, build that connection, but also get support. Right. 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 And I think that's like, you know, I think we've also like grown up in the society of like being a lone wolf and I've got Mm -hmm. this on my own and I can do this. And, and like, that's great, but we're not meant to do things alone. (laughs) We really are. (laughs) We're meant to do things with each other. And the more and more you isolate yourself from, you know, receiving help or giving help, like the more and more you isolate yourself from your actual self, which is a terrible thing to do. Right. Um, How do we start bringing some of these things, ideas that we've been talking about today into something like education and actually teaching and giving people these skills um, that we necessarily weren't taught, but they absolutely help you know, for us to thrive in our lives. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, talking about it is going to be important. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. like finding ways to be able to give people the tools and resources to do it. I think one of the most simplest ways to actually educate people or one simple thing that we can educate people on is like breath work. Mm. It is so incredible. What, like box box step breathing and four count breathing can do for a person for like two minutes if they are freaking out about things um, and having kind of an anxious moment. 
it just allows them to slow down in their own thoughts and get them out of their head for a little bit mm-hmm. and provide some space and clarity. And so, you know, I think like being able to like teach that at a young age is super important. I also think like having these conversations and starting to have kind of mental and emotional well-being conversations happening in schools at an early age are important. Um, And I know it's hard because even, you know, as a parent trying to find classes or resources for my child, like that's like really, really difficult. Um, But, you know, maybe as a parent, one thing that you can do is like take a moment to teach your kids some breathing. Mm. Just especially when they're having a hard time, like, okay, just like breathe. <laughs> like, let's just, let's just all breathe. Let's drink some water. <laughs> let's breathe. Um, and I, and I've seen a major shift in that too. And I also think, um, holding space for people and empathizing with people is one way that we can slowly start to educate a system and not being too quick to judge. Um, I think sometimes we do that way too quickly and we're unable to do that. And so if we can find ways to infuse more leaders and thought leaders in our, like not only like our education system, but whatever resources that we have out there that we're building out for that would Mm -hmm. be super essential. Well, I think those are um, awesome ideas. And I think that being able to build these resources and slowly start to leak them in, I think um, is really great. I've been seeing, you know, like things like meditation becoming super popular in, um, you know, even early um, years of school and basically as part of the thing, you know, just as much as like recesses. Um, I think these ideas are starting to leak into those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching TV, uh, and seeing on the news that like there was, um, this group that was teaching inner city kids breath work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy cow, like that is amazing because you were teaching, you were teaching these kids who normally are in an environment that's crappy, how to find peace and paradise in themselves mm-hmm. around a crappy environment. And if we can teach like our culture that too, like how much better of humans can we actually show up in what we do in our lives, whatever work we do in our lives. Right. So right. it was amazing and empowering to see that. And it's definitely one of those things where I'm like, and that type of work doesn't call for me, but I'm hoping mm-hmm. that whoever's listening for the, in this podcast, that if, if there's like that kind of work that's calling for you, that might be something you want to start as a yep. business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, before I get to my last question, where can everybody find you in the work that you're doing? You can find me all over the world. No, <laughs> you can find me on the internet, on my blog and website at www.gofitjo. That's G-O-F-I-T-J-O. And I'm all, all things social at GoFitJo. So that's G-O-F-I-T-J-O. Awesome. So my very last question is how can we push the world to evolve? Oh, um, how can we push the world to evolve? I think we can push the world to evolve by allowing them to allowing each person to have enough um, grace to do the inner work and giving mm-hmm. that space to do the inner work. I think, um, I think, I think inner inward work is like so important because it allows us to be able to understand ourselves better. And once we understand ourselves better, we're under, we are understand how we relate to the rest of the world. Um, but the biggest thing is that we need to be able to like empathize and hold space for people and hold space for one another. And if we can get to a place where we could properly do that with just like tender love and care, Mm -hmm. then we're going to be pretty fucking awesome uh, of a world, you know? So, and, and CBD, let's just pour that on everybody. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
Well, if you guys need a little encouragement, a little inspiration in order to start doing that inner work, I definitely recommend checking out um, Joe's blog, checking out her socials. Also, if you just need a little inspiration and kick in the ass to get in the gym or <laughs> be a good mom or whatever, she is there for you. So thank you so much, Joe, for coming on the show today. Oh, you're so welcome. I'll be your hype girl anytime. <laughs> All right. Hey you, yes you, I want to thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, then please open up your podcast app, rate and review. That's really going to help get this life-changing content out to more entrepreneurs just like you who are pushing the world forward. As always, my friend, keep evolving.